and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon, and we're thrilled to have back on the show again, Kobus,、uh, your your、uh, your colleague from Witts, who's a research associate there, Bob Wakesa, who's also pursuing his PhD at Communications University in Beijing. Bob has been with us all week, and he's really one of the leading experts on Sino-African media relations. Welcome back to the program, Bob. Thank you. Today we're going to talk about, and this is the first time we've talked about this topic, and it's why, why I'm so excited to have Bob on the show. Because again, as I mentioned,、uh, he truly is one of the world's leading experts on on Sino-African media, and, and we've talked a lot about in the past about China's growing media influence in Africa and their presence in Nairobi and Johannesburg and 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 and, and all over as they spread、uh, CCTV, Xinhua, China Radio International all over the continent. But what we haven't talked about is perceptions. Of Africa in Chinese media, and this is actually one of the areas of interest that I have a lot because I think it's one of the things that really retards the relationship. Is that the coverage of Africa in Chinese media is、um, is bad, is not very not is not very rich and not very well developed, and then you have now the added complexity of Chinese social media, which you know kind of smashes some of the existing narratives apart. So when we talk about Bob, the concept of how Chinese media covers Africa.、Um, I've said it's not very good, in my opinion. And this again, we're all talking about Chinese language media, not English language media, but Chinese language media in China.、Uh, what's your assessment? Do you think it's?、Uh, am I being unfair, or do you think that there is actually some merit to what they're doing in terms of their news coverage of Africa? No, no I think you are, you are spot on.、Uh, what we, all we can do is just add、uh, flesh onto that,、uh, you know, you know, the, the point, which, which is basically that the coverage in、um, Chinese media, you know, the Chinese language media of Africa is quite limited,、uh, even、um, you know, compared to other, you know, regions of the world.、Um, some、uh, colleague here who, you know, on campus here at Communication University of China, who. Researches on Africa in Chinese media, but in Chinese, you know, using Chinese character characters,、um, uh, has actually come、uh, to realize that、uh, Africa is actually a minute、uh, in terms of、uh, you know, you know, quantity compared to say the U.S. or European countries or Russia and so forth.、Um, in addition to that, you don't see、uh, coverage of、um, Africa in the Sense of、uh, say feature stories or people culture kind of thing.、Uh, it is much more to do with the events, particular disasters, and even then, like we said, these will be stories that、uh, in our own English media, if it were newspapers, for instance, will be items that are in、uh, the sections of the newspaper that are not, you know, the front pages or the news pages. You know, some kind of roundups,、uh, similarly on TV. On TV Um, you know, things like Mali exploding, Central African Republic, and, and 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 so forth, and even the turmoil in Somalia, for example, will be items that are not really、uh, up there as the news events.、Um, and and、um, I think this goes to to to. I, I my my proposal here is, or my perspective here is that、um, this goes hand in hand with the fact that. Uh, even though there's a lot of shouting and there's a lot of、uh, focus on China in Africa and China-Africa relations, the fact remains that、uh, if you look at economic matters, trade and so forth, 
uh, Africa constitutes a very small percentage of China's global trade. Uh, China's global trade, in terms of uh, numbers, is with the U.S., Europe, and so forth. It's less than 5%, actually. I mean, we're talking a very small percentage. It's less than 5%. Very small percentage. Yeah, less than 5%. We talk of imports, exports, either, either side. And I want to imagine that uh, the media narrative just follow the economics. Uh, such that uh, may go or, uh, you know, the Euro- America, is, you know, China is called, is really more like uh, uh, the the big thing here because it, uh, you know, inspires uh, lots of uh, interest across board. Um, in addition, uh, even when Chinese media have gone out of the way to, for example, I think one of the biggest shows is something called Glamorous China. Uh, which uh, shows kind of country-to-country uh, footage of uh, culture, wildlife, particularly wildlife is a, a big thing. Even that sometimes actually has been criticized by um, Chinese citizens. In fact, one researcher here on campus has uh, pointed out that uh, uh, some netizens uh, you know, were questioning why China was spending so much money going to do live shows in the Masai Mara National Park in Kenya. You know, there's the famous uh, wild beast migration from uh, Tanzania into Kenya, you know, Serengeti into Masai Mara, which is known as one of the seven wonders of the world, or whatever, wonder of the world, eighth or tenth, whatever. Uh, And I think um, Chinese media are so fascinated fascinated that they did shows out there and actually decided to do live shows. And, and Chinese uh, people are say, were wondering, why are we spending so much money doing these shows? It, it, as in to demonstrate that they were very disinterested um, with this. And of course, Copas, who is uh, on this show, has done a fantastic paper with, uh, I think, his colleague, uh, you know, on uh, Chinese media perceptions. I think Copas might have a more sophisticated uh, uh, understanding of uh, online perceptions. Yeah, the the you know the online you know the the amount of online media, um, China Africa related media is, is overwhelming. And um, the I did a paper with Jing Hao Lu, who's also is a, is a friend of the podcast. Um, and we you know we barely scratched the surface. I mean, there, there's a ton there to work with. And um, what you know, in, in very broad terms, what it came down to is that. Obviously, these are these these are um, uh, Chinese communities in Africa that's commun- that's co- communicating via social media with um, with the, with China as a whole, um, and frequently it would be for business purposes. So, for, you know, so someone would have something that they'd like to sell, or something that they like to, you know, that they want a supplier for some kind of business that they want to set up in Africa, and then they they're procuring you know kind of goods from China or getting personnel to move to Africa, or you know, um, so so there's a, they were very very kind of dense business links um, and personnel headhunting links you know kind of that um, that were happening via social media and then the discussions of Africa um, was this interesting mix of really really kind of hardcore anti-African narratives you know kind of that that was actually quite hard to write about because some of it was so racist um, and we're like oh god we can't put this you know um, and then um, and then actually quite, you know, kind of like day-to-day discussions of what it's actually like to live in Africa, and frequently those two would be in this very unstable combination of the two, you know, kind of where, and you you would realize frequently that these would be people who are, for example, working for big companies and that they are living in compounds 
um, and where they where they almost never have any real interaction with with Africans, and they frequently they definitely don't have any interactions with Africans who are on their social and economic level, um, which means that the entire the entire way of, of looking at Africa frequently comes through the filter of being an employer or having to having to oversee African workers, um, you know, kind of, and and that leads obviously to a whole bunch of like really awful racism and also just you know kind of certain kind of limits in in the way that African life is is discussed. But then at the same time, what you also see is there's also a lot more discussion of what what it's like to live in Africa than you would ever see in uh, from Western sources, um, you know, because uh, you know there's just so many more Chinese people who live in Africa now, and um, and so there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of it is quite kind of benign in the sense of oh this is what my neighbourhood looks like or this is what you know kind of my recent vac- vacation was like and so on and then frequently these kind of really awful kind of discussions about about you know interpersonal interactions or so it's a very very complicated. Um, like a tsunami of media that you know that that's coming from social media. Well, a couple of years ago, I I started to wonder why the coverage of Africa in Chinese media was so bad. And was just, what I mean by bad is that it's a little bit like what Kobus was saying in the fact that there was a lot of caricature, stereotypes, even some borderline racism. But worst of all, it was just bland and boring. So I started to look into how this was coming about. And what I found out was that a lot of the journalists who are sent over there, largely for Xinhua, which is the state-run news agency, much like Reuters or AP in the West – um, they're they're very lowly they're very low paid um, they're not very well experienced Africa is the least kind of preferred foreign posting that you can get uh, this is not where the they want to go so a lot of it's our young kids starting out they don't oftentimes I befriended two or three journalists one when I was in Kinshasa and then another in Lusaka. And in Lusaka, he kind of said that they really, the journalists for Xinhua don't leave the, the, the Xinhua compound. They kind of sit there, they watch the TV, they, they kind of get it from webline sources, they're translating a lot of things and putting it out. They're not doing what we think of as journalism, which is to go out to interview people. And that's really a shame in part because the Chinese themselves are being denied uh, the, the varied rich stories that are going on in Africa right now, uh, both good and bad. And But, Bob, the, the point that I kind of came around to was the the rather kind of sick irony that's going on here because the Chinese have been very vocal about how the West is telling Africa's story and using these outdated modes. And they've all talked about how, you know, this thing of positive news and how it's time for Africa and China to tell their own stories. And yet... When you actually look at the substance of Chinese reporting in Africa, it's it's like 1950s or 1960s reporting in the West. It's it's just primitive by all, and I and I feel like there's a little bit of hypocrisy here that the Chinese are doing the very thing that they're accusing the West of doing, and thus kind of justifying why they need to set up CCTV Africa and whatnot, and really kind of. Uh, so, is that um, what's your thought on that? No, my, my thought is actually uh, in, the, in, the, in the circumstances. I think I'll uh, give the current uh, leadership, you know, some kind of uh, benefit of doubt, if nothing else. In, in that, uh, even if their interests or motivations might be something else, but at least by pushing um, Chinese media into uh, into, into Africa, it, it might have a reverse kind of uh, impact even on their own media uh, back back here you know the interaction alone uh, you know in that sphere will be back and forth in one way or another so that perhaps media here might also 
change uh, you know go, going forward but but also you know I, I you know Eric if you can uh, look up um uh, Odin's uh, poem uh, over many years ago I mean uh, Odin was uh, an American poet you know uh, and then they wrote uh, about the you know so his lyrics basically were about the possibility of China and Africa meeting uh, and and um, Apart from the mention of historical meeting uh, contact between China and Africa for some 600 years back, really China and Africa have stayed apart for a hell of a long time. <laughs> to the extent that sometime when I go to the subway and I've written on this in, on a blog on uh, Deborah Brotigam's, uh, you know, in a blog, uh, I, I wrote an article to that extent that sometimes in China, you know, when you go to the subway or walking on the streets. You bump into some Chinese nationals, and really they have never seen a black person. They are seeing a, a, a black African person for the very first time, and you know sometimes they are very amused, sometimes they are scared, sometimes they. So that actually also plays out into the media. Mm-hmm. So I guess media will only, you know, Chinese media will have a better appreciation of China, of I mean of Africa, uh, with continued interaction in. Uh, Various spheres, like I said, as long as economic and uh, cultural contact remain limited, media will uh, equally be, you know, remain uh, limited. So, um, and and I think also just in uh, in addition, uh, it's actually in this respect that uh, one must uh, give not only some benefit of doubt to the Chinese state party leadership for you know you know pushing this. Kind of, because you see, there, there, there's quite a bit of uh, data. Some of the Chinese journalists who come to work in Africa eventually come back to work in uh, China. I've mm-hmm. met a few at uh, People Daily who seem to have a better appreciation of uh, you know, you know African and, and these are in the minority. Actually, they are uh, dropping the sea as it were. But uh, the continued interaction might might help. Plus, you know, the efforts of uh, projects such as uh, U.S. You know, we are discussing this matter, so that helps. Uh, projects such as the WIT, uh, you know, China Africa Reporting Project, where, uh, you know, journalists um, are brought from mainland China to come and, you know, uh, cover stuff in, a, you know, look at covering uh, events, issues, features, and so forth, and come over to do, to, to report here, will might, might perhaps help going forward. Okay, so you're giving the benefit of the doubt. Um, one one area of particular interest, particularly from the international community in to China, is the coverage of poaching and the ivory trade. Um, and, and I get into regular discussions, debates, sometimes a little bit of sparring and fighting, um, with Western activists who can't believe that Chinese people are not aware of the connection between their consumption of ivory and the violence that it's causing on Africa's uh, rhino and uh, elephant populations. And one of the arguments that I put forward is the fact that we take it for granted in the West that there's so much media coverage on this topic and to the point where it educates people about the, the, the various aspects and the various you know conditionalities of this subject. Uh, in China, there really isn't much information on this, so that the average consumer of news simply isn't aware and, and can't make that connection. Um, can you confirm or deny my premise? No, no, your premise is, uh, is spot on. Uh, I've had that discussion with uh, a colleague at uh, China Daily, you know, even because one must make a distinction between Chinese media that beam to the rest of the world and, uh, you know, that, that serves some kind of uh, public diplomacy function. And those that uh, are, you know, directed to internal uh, audiences. And those that are directed to internal audi- audiences, 
uh, there is a, you know, you know it, they could do better than uh, than that. I mean, uh, uh, in terms of uh, educating the public on uh, all these crazy things about, uh, you know, rhino horn having some sexual powers or uh, you know, you know, virility or, or being a laugh portion or you know, you know, treating cancer and things like those, uh, you know, which are very precambrian, if I may use that term, uh, kind of um, you know suppositions. So, so yeah, true. Your supposition is uh, spot on. In fact, you, you see a, a lot of um, you know Chinese celebrities like Yao Ming, for example, the basketballer, uh, and musicians and stars being sent to Africa to kind of uh, come back with messages uh, on uh, why it is bad to do poaching and so forth. But this is reported more in the Chinese media that beams to the rest of the world than to the one that is, uh, you know, circulates within nature. And I thought uh, there is a room for uh, improvement. And Kobus, that was so interesting is that, you know, and, and I feel a little bit vindicated uh, hearing Bob's kind of take on this, but it is hard for some of these Western activists to kind of see what people in China's perspective is and how narrow it is. And the other point that I'm going to bring up and, and just like to kind of get your final thoughts on this subject is I don't actually see, you know, media expansion, media freedom for the Chinese reporters in Africa to expand under the Xi administration. Uh, Xi Jinping, if anything, is controlling the information flow much more so. Uh, Let's not forget that Africa is the source of China's biggest nightmare uh, in the form of the Jasmine Revolution that came out of uh, of Tunisia. This was the uprisings in in, in Egypt, also in Libya. Uh, And this is exactly the kind of thing that the Chinese want to to really suppress when it comes to... uh, uh, in, uh, you know their their coverage, and so I, I, I'm not convinced that we're going to see uh, an enormous amount of improvement when it comes to that. But you know, I, I do walk away feeling a little bit better listening to Bob's optimism that you know at least there's a new generation of journalists that are going back to Beijing eventually and cycling back and have a, a greater sensitivity and awareness of Africa. Uh, give us your final thoughts on this subject. Yeah, um, you know, I think the there's definitely. Well, one shouldn't discount the power also of independent journalists and you know um, people who don't work for the state for and social media, media so, too, of course. Yeah, you know, so so for example, Tsai Xing has, has done some coverage in in um, in Africa for, for isolated big stories and big investigations, and you know, kind of when there's a news hook for for Chinese journalists to to do work here, they will, I think, you know, kind of. But yeah, I, I share your your gloomy perspective on in terms of like you know the, the greater kind of freedom of information um i think there's still a lot uh, a lot to do there there's a, it's still far to go and also i think there's a lot of um one needs to look a little bit at which which interests are being served by by this idea that africa is this place that's just very far away you know um i think that that has always been a very ideological way to look at africa um Obviously, you know, kind of, when you, and you see a, a, a very similar construction um, uh, in, in the West of Africa as the the other, as 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 not the the one that's not like us, that that can't be imagined, that's doing these unimaginable things for crazy reasons that we don't even need to think about, um, you know, and and that that itself is a massive problem, and and I think there is the danger that 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 kind of binary opposition will be replicated as well in in, in the Chinese coverage. It's definitely one of the areas that we hope will improve in the coming years as the engagement between China and Africa intensifies and continues to to broaden as well. Um, Not 
in my view, one of the areas of optimism right now, although Bob does kind of make a good persuading case, persuasive case that there is room for hope there. Hey, Bob, thank you. You've been our guest all week on the show. We're, we're grateful that you took the time to join us. It's been really fascinating to hear your perspectives. If, if you guys aren't familiar with Bob's work, uh, he writes for China Daily, but he also writes for all the different sites. He's an independent researcher at WITS and also at uh, doing his PhD at Communications University in Beijing. Uh, definitely one of the smartest guys in the Sino-African media space. Bob, thank you so much for joining us this week. Welcome. Thank you, too. And if people want to follow what you're doing and what you're reading and what you're thinking about these days, what's the best way that they can stay in touch with you? They can uh, you know, stay in touch with me through your you know, LinkedIn um, Africa project the, as well as uh, the WIT uh, China Africa reporting uh, you know, project. Um, there's a blog there where I, I post regularly and comments will be welcome. They can get in touch with me via LinkedIn. Uh, and if they post uh, a message on my Facebook or Twitter account, I'll catch them up when I, you know, whenever I go back home to Kenya or to South Africa to, uh, you know, follow my research interests there. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we're really looking forward to featuring your work uh, on our on our page. And also, just a quick little hat tip that we'd like to give to Abigail Vasilier, who is somebody we had on our show a couple weeks ago, uh, talking about uh, Sino-Tunisian relations. And now she's uh, joining the China-Africa Project team to translate articles on the Chinese in Africa uh, from French. So we have Tendai Musakwa, who is in Shanghai, translating the Chinese social media about Africa. And then now, out of Paris, uh, Abigail Vasilier is joining us to translate some French articles to bring that perspective as well. So we're really thrilled to have a new member of our team uh, at the China Africa Project. Uh, one of the best places that you can keep touch with us and participate uh, and join our discussions is on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Of course, Bob, this is off limits to you, given that you're behind the great firewall of China. Uh, but for the rest of you who are not behind a firewall, um, it's really a, a great a great opportunity. 135,000 followers now with us from all over the world, largely from South Asia, North Africa, and, and all across Africa. So we're thrilled to have that there. Cobus and I, we're on it every day, about 18 hours a day. We're updating almost every two or three hours with the top stories and headlines, providing you with a curated feed. Uh, when I comment, you'll see my name in brackets. When Cobus does so, his name is in brackets. Uh, so, Cobus, in addition to Facebook, what's the best way that people can get a, a stay in touch with you and get a hold of you? I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me at Twitter on Twitter as well at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. I'm updating the top China in Africa stories uh, almost every day. And, of course, if you want to follow this podcast, best way to do it is to go over to iTunes. But you can also find us uh, on mobile. We are both uh, we have mobile apps in the Google Play Store as well as in iTunes as well. We're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and, and all the major uh, audio podcast distribution sites. So that'll do it for this, uh, this week. We'll be back again uh, with another edition of the China in Africa podcast very soon. Thank you so much for listening.